Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Maroon Weekly. I don't know where you are, but on campus it's cold, gray, and windy. Fortunately, we have a lot of interesting stories to cheer up your morning. So let's get started. As always, I'm Greg. I'm William. And I'm Jake. All right, how was everyone's week? My week was decent. I enjoyed the snow this week, kind of. Um, it was just nice to look at. It made the quad look very pretty. The snow is really nice to look at. I went on a long run, like straight north up Ellis and then Greenwood, um, up through Kenwood. And it was fun to just explore and see parts of the city I haven't seen. And for the first time, I got to see them with this like nice layer of snow on top. It was all very beautiful and idyllic, especially when I then went on the lake to come back and there was like no one else there. And it was just me in a, I don't know, winter wonderland. It's gorgeous. I honestly can't say that I feel the same. I feel like the snow has been a nuisance more than anything. I feel like there are different types of snow, right? You have the kind that's, you know, you get a foot of snow and that's like, you know, snow days. That's what I associate them with. And then you have this snow that's, it's, it sticks, but we only, there's only like an inch or two on the ground. And it's been on and off for the past four days, but. I feel like I prefer the like thin inch of snow. It just coats everything. Then you get the slush. That's the other thing. No, that is true. Yeah. You get the benefit of snow days when there's a lot of snow, but we, we mean, we don't get snow days. So <laughs> with a lot of snow, just, I feel like it's that's, just more inconvenience than otherwise. That is otherwise. true. That's very true. All right. So let's get started with news. So we'll start with the university's planned Freedom of Expression Center. Interesting. Yeah. Um, a job posting for an executive director of the unannounced uh, Center for Freedom of Expression at the University of Chicago has been on the job posting platform Workday for at least a month now. The principal aims for the center are to enrich our experience of our students by modeling free expression and open inquiry, to deepen our understanding of freedom of expression, to engage and further develop a network of leaders who champion the principles of free expression, to improve the quality of the higher education environment by creating a broad framework including curricula and materials rooted in the Chicago principles that promote free expression, and to serve as a resource for other institutions that are confronting challenges to free expression and open discourse. The post goes on to state that the Center for Freedom of Expression will use case studies to look at the practical application of free expression. The university also wants the center to host guest speakers to be sponsored by donors and to run summer sessions for 7th and 12th grade students. There are also plans to have free expression boot camps um, and training sessions for educators, nonprofit organizations, and artists. In a statement to the Maroon, the university wrote that plans for the Center for Freedom of Expression were still under development. Notably, the university did not respond to the Maroons' question on whether donors would be able to influence the selection of speakers or staff at the center. For more on this article, check out Katie Langley's uh, article, University Planning Center for Freedom of Expression, on the Maroon website in our fourth week print edition. I have to wonder what a freedom of expression boot camp would look like. Yeah, yeah. That, that really picked my interest. I, you know, will it be Dean Boyer sitting there you know, lecturing you on, on, on what freedom of expression means? Maybe it's just that everyone at the boot camp has the freedom to express themselves <laughs> by, like, giving some lecture on whatever they choose. So Dean Boyer can just get up there and talk about bikes, and no one can... You know, I would actually attend that lecture. I would, <laughs> I would too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The university has really tried to put its flag down as the leader in higher education of, like, freedom of expression. Um, there was an uh, op-ed in the Chicago Maroon just a couple weeks ago that... Our president, Paul Alipsados, wrote, um, Advancing New Chicago's Distinct Culture of Free Expression. We have this sort of exceptional air about ourselves, about like, being like the university that does free expression to a greater extent than any other. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Are, are you happy that that's our university stance, that that's what we aspire to? I think it is. Um, and I think it's especially relevant, um, given what happened a few months ago. You guys remember the story about the... UChicago professor that was hosting that class 
um, I think it was like relating to race, um, but then she was harassed. You guys of course. Oh, yeah. yes, that the professor one. who was hosting the class on their problem of whiteness. That's the one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very proud of you, Chicago's um, stance on freedom of speech. I think there's a lot of issues that need to be discussed today, um, and that unless we um, have a forum of freedom expression, of expression, uh, they won't be solved. So I'm very glad to be here at the University of Chicago, where we really pride ourselves on this. And I can't say you know, of any other institution that, uh, that's as vocal as UChicago is. You guys could correct me if I'm wrong, though. I think you might find, like, more explicitly conservative universities that claim right. a similar that's um, true. bent. But I think UChicago, as, as a more center place that's doing that, is maybe unique. I, I don't know. Do you, do you guys remember the what is it, University of Austin in Texas or whatever? That oh, UT started? Austin. No, not UT Austin. Not oh. UT Austin. There was a new university that some conservatives were trying to start that was sort of going to stand out as, like, the conservative university. Um, and they talked a lot about freedom of expression, but sort of from a different angle. Yeah. And maybe not an angle that really was all about freedom of expression. <laughs> but, you know, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, with that, let's move on to our next story from Jake with new study abroad programs. The university is launching five new faculty-led study abroad programs and two new direct enrollment programs for the next school year, bringing us to a total of 70 such programs. So two of those new faculty-led programs are civilizations-focused, with music in Western civilization, which will be taught next autumn at the UChicago Center in Paris, and Jewish civilization, which will be taught in the spring in Vienna. The other three faculty-led programs are, interestingly enough, September courses. 19th century French art in Paris museums will be offered in Paris next September, as will North African France, decolonization, immigration, and post-colonial identity. And in Berlin, They'll be offering conflict, community, and sustainability. These are three of the five September courses that will be offered next year. And if they sound interesting to you, there's still plenty of time to apply, as applications are due on February 13th for all three programs on the UChicago Study Abroad website. And the two direct enrollment programs are with Central European University's Vienna campus for the full year or autumn quarter, and the École Polytechnique for a full year in a suburb of Paris. If you'd like to enroll in Central European University, the deadline is February 3rd. This article was originally reported by Francisca Giuliani and is available on the Maroons website. I actually went to the study abroad fair on January 11th to look at the offerings. They had students there to talk about the programs that they had gone on, including our very own Carter Backstein, who's currently at a mock trial tournament. Carter told me about his experiences studying in Italy on a foreign language acquisition grant from the university one summer, as well as the great time he had doing Soch in Paris. I ended up deciding to apply for the Oaxaca program as my first choice. I've just heard such great things about the city, and I'd like to work on my Spanish skills, and ultimately the chance to spend next winter in Mexico instead of Chicago felt like too great of an opportunity to pass up. Are either of you thinking of studying abroad at some point in the future? Yes, I would love to do my civ abroad, um, specifically the Jerusalem program. It just seems so fascinating. What appeals to you about the Jerusalem program? You know, I... It just, it seems like such an interesting region. Um, Israel is such an interesting country. Um, and I would just love to learn more about, about the history of Israel and, and the history of Jewish civilization in general. Yeah, I've, I've never been to Israel, but I have a number of friends who studied there last year. And um, not, not with you, Chicago. But they all tell me that Jerusalem is like one of the most fascinating cities that is just very distinct from pretty much anything else because of the unique history it has. I, I believe I ranked Jerusalem third on the list of programs I applied to. I have so many friends who studied in Israel last year as well, and, and <laughs> they're just all their stories are just so fascinating. I really want to visit, and I really would love to, love to study there. 
I believe that that program lets you study either Arabic or Hebrew yes. as your language yes. of choice. Um, a lot of opportunities. Greg, what's your thought on study abroad? It sounds interesting. I did not go to the study abroad fair, um, nor did I apply to any places, just because my schedule is kind of uh, very hectic. Um, but it looks interesting. So, yeah, well, you should definitely look into that next year. Yeah, yeah I hadn't... At first, I'd wanted to study abroad. Like, it feels like something for, for me that I wanted to do during college. But when I was figuring out my schedule over um, winter break, it seemed like something that wouldn't really make sense. It would, it would break up some sequences, and I thought I might want to, like, distribute the same courses instead of getting them all done in one fell swoop. But I don't know. I, I just think it's a hard opportunity to turn down if you have the ability to do it. Just It's not something you'll get to do um, much over the course of the rest of your life, you know? Just take th- that significant amount of time, be in some other place, get immersed there, um, and live like a very different sort of rhythm, you know? Yeah. Well said. All right. So for our next story, we'll come to me with info on the CS server meltdown that happened a few weeks ago. So between the evening of Thursday, January 12th, and the afternoon of Friday, January 13th, Many students, including myself and Jake, were unable to access CS course websites or Linux servers, preventing them from accessing and completing assignments. Many professors in upper division CS courses post their course materials to personal pages. These are all linked to classes.cs.uchicago.edu. When students attempted to open this site for their courses on Thursday night, many encountered a took-too-long-to-load error. Now, in addition to this, students also encountered difficulty with the department's Linux servers. A number of CS classes at the university require students to use Linux to use code. Those classes often provide access to servers that enable students to use Linux operating systems remotely. When those servers shut down on Thursday, students were unable to complete or even access their assignments. This also affected courses outside of the CS department. Fortunately, the classes.cs site and the Linux servers were both accessible by noon on Friday However, new issues arose with the restored servers that were not resolved until several hours later. All students who spoke with the Maroons said that their professors accommodated the lost time caused by their server issues, either by making exceptions for some assignment components or granting extensions. The story was first reported by Justin Algren and is up on the Maroons website. Yeah, this, I mean, this kind of messed me up personally. Um... Even when the servers were restored, I, I believe it was noon on Friday, um, my homework file had just disappeared, and I don't think it was online until pretty late Friday night. Um, and I was very busy on Saturday, so I, I didn't have any time to um, to make that 24-hour extension that they gave us for that assignment. They gave us until Saturday at 4 p.m., um, and I was downtown pretty much all of Saturday. So I had to take a resubmission on that one. Maybe I should have emailed and asked for an individual extension, but I, I didn't bother. Greg, what was your personal experience with the shutdown? I actually finished, I had, I had submitted it like Thursday morning, I think. So I just missed it. Lucky you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I was, I was on, um, we use Edstem, which is like Piazza, you know, for questions and answerings from, you know, professors and students. And it was, uh, it was pretty hectic, I have to say. It was indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm glad, you know, everyone got their files back. Um, I know as the article said, that students were experiencing issues like even after uh, the servers were officially restored. But my understanding is that everything is back to normal for the most part. Yeah, um, they, they eventually restored my yep. files. Yeah. They figured it out. Um, yeah, I believe that was my first time ever posting on Ed, actually, <laughs> on the Ed discussion board that we have. 
because my stuff wasn't there. <laughs> I was a little concerned. <laughs> All right, and so for our final story, we'll go back to Jake with an update on the university's alert system. Yeah, so the university campus alert system that I'm sure we all definitely know about has expanded its automatic enrollment to text. For those who aren't aware, the university has a campus alert system that's used for emergency situations like major safety concerns or closures of the university. This is run by the Department of Safety and Security, and previously those alerts were sent to our UChicago email inboxes. Now, any future campus alerts, which they call C-alerts, will also be sent to our phone numbers, which the university has access to through the two-factor authentication systems that we use, like Duo. The university said that alerts through this system are sent out no more than three or four times annually. I was curious, so I looked through my own email inbox, and as a second year, I've only ever received one real alert, a tornado warning, after I had left campus last June, and as well as one test of the C-Alert system in October. If the system is intended to quickly alert students as to emergencies occurring on campus, then it's a good thing that we'll get texts and additional emails. But it is a bit strange to think that they just have our phone numbers and can opt us into programs like this, just like that. This article was first reported by Naina Purushottaman for the Maroon and is available on the Maroon's website. You got an alert, your first alert after you left campus. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, that is what I said. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, do you, do you get more alerts no, than me no, somehow? I don't, I don't, Are you I checking? Don't. No. <laughs> that is fascinating how they can just pull our numbers. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there are much more insidious things going on all around us, with, with and without the university, uh, yeah. in terms of the data. But this is, this is one example that they're telling us. <laughs> don't we also technically have, like, a, a safety app? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Does anyone have that app downloaded? I, I do have downloaded. the app downloaded. Yes. How is it? Uh, I've never had to use it, fortunately. Have you, like, opened it? Like, what's the, what's the interface like? What, what's uh, the the interface seems very bulky. Bulky? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not it, very it's, intuitive. It's, yeah, it's not a very intuitive interface. Um, it is fascinating. I do have it on the opening page of my phone. Uh, it's yeah. called you Chicago Safe, And on the page, it has the emergency contacts, the mobile blue light, and the friend walk. Uh, mobile blue light being the blue light system, but on your phone. Um, and then friend walk is if you ever need someone to walk with you, a UCPD officer at nighttime. Um, in in certain circumstances, uh, you can hit the friend walk button and uh, they'll walk with you. It's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I feel like the university could do a better job of advertising it, though. Oh, yes, yeah. We do get a lot of emails about it. Do, do you recommend it? Do you think it's I would recommend it. Okay. I would recommend that every student downloads it just uh, in case something happens. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, on a, on a related UCPD note, um, when I was going on that run that I mentioned, I, I went up to like 41st or so, I was just struck by how far removed I felt from UChicago. Like, I, I just, I think that UChicago students will very rarely go that far north, and yet UCPD covers an area from 37th Street to 64th Street. 64th, I kind of get, like, there are people who live on, like, 62nd, I think, who are UChicago um, students and such, but... 37th Street, I just, I don't, I don't really see what the justification is for having a UCPD presence that far north. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been that, in that area. I hadn't until I two days ago. I personally have not gone that far north, but I remember before I came to the University of Chicago, I was looking up the UCPD policing zone um, and really questioned how far students live from campus. Yeah. And once I've gotten here, I realized that nobody lives that far from yeah, campus. Yeah, I'm, so. I'm going to be living on 51st yeah. next year, and I don't think I've met anyone who's living further north than that. Yeah, so I, um, I question why such a large policing district. Yeah, but yeah I'm, sure there, I'm sure there are some 
grad students who maybe choose to live on like 48th or something and I think 47th is like a bit of a Kenwood thoroughfare so I guess you could try to justify having people go as far as maybe 46th yeah but 37th is a, is a pretty far cry I mean it, it just looks like a very different neighborhood um it is a very different I, I just don't think you Chicago students have much of a reason to go in that area Hyde Park has a lot of the things we need and as, I mean in my experience when people aren't in Hyde Park they're going to maybe Chinatown or downtown usually Certainly not to 37th. Now that you mention it, I, I'm wondering like what the overlap between UCPD and uh, the CPD is. I know that UCPD, as you said, it has its own district, but I occasionally see CPD vehicles like right next to campus. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like a mutually exclusive zone. I'm sure right. I, I would be shocked if, um, if Chicago PD had a, had a smaller like influence in, on, on like 37th. I imagine the UCPD scope of like, intervention scales down as you go further north like that. Um, but, I mean, I couldn't tell you for sure. Wait, so did you see, like, the the cars with the, the safety UCPD? Not UCPD, the the safety cars with the green lights up there, or no? I wasn't looking. No, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. All right, I think that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was great having you. We'll see you next week. As always, I'm Greg. I'm William. And I'm Jay. Stay warm.